listening to Snow Life, a National Post podcast featuring true tales of the Canadian winter. I'm Monica Rezeka. This episode is all about how winter affects different aspects of Canadian culture, whether it's what you eat or what you wear or what you listen to. The long, long Canadian winters and the long, long roads between Canadian cities can make life extra hard for musicians on tour. Vancouver to Edmonton is about 12 hours by car. Toronto to Winnipeg is nearly a full day. Add to that a bus full of gear and plenty of snow and ice, and you run into some problems. Joe O'Connor spoke with Chris Murphy of Sloan about the band's life on the road and some of the weirder things that have happened to them in winter. Winter on the road as a band in Canada. Um, yeah. Tell me your best, or in this case, perhaps your most nightmarish story of Sloan in winter. We were in Edmonton, Alberta, a few years ago, where uh, apparently it was colder than the North Pole. It was minus 50, and we were on a tour bus, and everything was frozen in the bus. All of the all of the pee was frozen in the in the bathroom. So we were just like in this frozen block of stinky pee. It was disgusting. And we all wanted to kill each other. And uh, everybody wanted to go home. And everybody, <laughs> because we were about to drive across the mountains in these conditions. And everybody was terrified that we would die this way, uh, you know, be killed either by a, a giant frozen block of pee uh, or go off the road. Which which is more embarrassing on, on the tombstone? Okay, well, another one is. We were playing at Whistler, and we were playing at some snowboarding, you know, event. You know, there are snowboarders going down and do all, do all these tricks and flips in the air, and everybody's whipping snowballs at them, like, while they're doing these tricks. I was like, who are these assholes that would do that? Like, this per- the person's going <laughs> to hurt themselves. And then there was, like, a judge. The judges were up on scaffolding that was sort of surrounded by a tarp, and people were just whipping snowballs at at them, and and we're getting ready. We're like tuning up our guitars, getting ready to go on as the sun goes down. We're like we're dead. <laughs> these people are these people are going to kill us. They're whipping snowballs at at the competitors in the middle of a fucking jump. And you know we're getting ready to go on, and we're surrounded by snow and assholes basically. And so the sun goes down, and sure enough, it's just, we're just getting peppered with snowballs all night. First couple songs, and then I decide. Well, we're like, do we go on or not? We're getting paid pretty well to be here. I don't want to leave and then not get paid. So the band vamps. I think they vamp on Jumpin' Jack Flash or something simple. And I go down in the audience and I pull girls out of the out of the audience to come up and basically form a human shield in front of us. And I just figure no one's going to throw snowballs at these young girls. And but sure enough, like one of them at one point turns around to me, like and has visibly been hit in the face, like. But she's just smiling at me, like, "Yeah, this is great," and but with a great big welt basically in her face. I was like, "This show is over," and we sh- shut it down. I think we got paid, <laughs> but anyway, it was just a nightmare. Um, is there a point? I mean, you guys have had a lot of success. Is there a point when you reach a certain level where you can just, you know, pull the plug on the winter tour and use winter as a time to? Well, do whatever you do, whether it's writing, creating, going to the studio. 
if you're successful only in Canada, you can't fucking lean back on anything. You you either are successful in the States or you work until you're 80 years old, uh, which is my case. But, uh, yeah, we try to avoid the January, February touring. We'll We'll play, you know, a one-off, but we'll definitely not you know, release a record January 1st and, and start driving. We almost always, you know, do the majority of our touring, yeah, as close to the summer as possible. We play as much as we can in the summer because that's usually, nobody tours in the summer per se. Like, that's when you play, sorry, I don't mean nobody. When you're at our level, you, you, you leave yourself open to play summer shows that pay more, you know, these sponsored shows. And then okay. you tour April, May, June, uh, or September, October, November, kind of thing. As a band, when you're on the road, right, and it's 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 your one town after the other, one show after the other, and maybe it's January, maybe it's February. Um, are there ways like as slowing the band? Like, how do you guys avoid the the winter blues, the January blues, the February blues? Like, how how were there ways as sort of team building or band building exercises to just uh, keep spirits up? Andrew, Scott, and I. Yeah played hockey as kids and then uh, as most of the kids that you know we got into music and everybody quit hockey but then uh we joined uh, a hockey league called the hockey association of the arts with whom i've been i've been playing in that league at least off and on since you know for 15 years or more but when we started playing hockey again andrew got really into it so now he plays you know i play once a, a year at an easter tournament and goofing around but andrew plays high level he's playing five times a week four or five times a week and he's really really good it's become his whole life and andrew takes his hockey gear on the road sometimes oh, no. he'll throw it in the okay. ba- throw it in the bay of the bus and he's always like trying to email ahead and it's it's more true in, in the small towns if you play in truro nova scotia or if you play in sydney nova scotia or, or some of these places you can call ahead to the people who are putting on the show and they'll say oh there's a game that the day you guys are in We've done. We did that for a couple of years. I haven't brought my my gear out uh, recently, but uh, but Andrew still does, and he's always calling ahead and trying to get a uh, pickup hockey game with uh, with the locals. Dynamite. Uh, well, good talking. Good luck with the uh, new record coming out, and glad we were able to connect. This time of year, if you step on the subway in Toronto, you'll face a sea of very similar parkas. Sadaf Hassan and Chris Hanna are here to discuss a certain ubiquitous brand of winter coat. It's famous outside Canada, too, but how necessary is it really in the country's biggest city? I hate Canada goose with a passion. Telling it like it is, I think a lot of Canadians think they're colder than they actually are, and it's a mental headspace. And then putting on that jacket is like this whole production, just so everybody knows how cold you are. And it's like, who cares, though? Like, they're made for Arctic exploring. And Toronto gets cold, but not like Arctic cold. That's for sure. Exactly. So what do you guys wear then? If you're firmly anti-Canada goose, how do you dress for winter? I just want to point out, Chris, that uh, you're wearing... Would you call those sneakers? They're sneakers, yeah. Sneakers, yeah. and you have no salt stains on your pants, which to me suggests you are a witch. <laughs> <laughs> I am a little bit witchy, for sure. But no, I love. I actually do love winter. Like, So I'm anti-Canada Goose because I also don't mind being a little bit cold in the winter. And I, I really just enjoy it. 
it's just it's nice to look at i prefer being cold over being like overly sweaty i feel like there's ways to control it when you're cold like i can layer uh, whereas if i'm hot like there are only so many layers i can take off at work before hr is called so <laughs> i just prefer winter I do not prefer winter in general otherwise, which I think is part of why I hate the Kandagoo so much, or like any kind of parka like that, which is twice anyone's size. I feel like style is the key thing, and it just goes out the window when winter comes, at least in Canada. And I feel like fit is the most important thing, so I like to wear something that's fitted or that has a silhouette. I want to be able to see myself, because one of those jackets just drowns you. It's too much, and I feel like you maybe would get like too warm in it. So I, yeah, I am wearing sneakers today and and rolled up jeans. I do that. I have a denim jacket that I wear in the winter. And it's fine. Listen, I'm cold, but I love it. So risque. It's, oh. it's cute. I'm cold, but I'm cute. You know. Well, I mean, the thing is, also you can compensate with scarves. Go nuts with scarves. I totally support blanket scarves, gloves, toques. Do all of that. But I feel like when you're about to head out look in the mirror and take one thing off and just make it the jacket. Like, it's not worth it. <laughs> so what do you wear then? Today? So I do like a pea coat pretty much every winter. And I'm not going to lie, I get cold. I get pretty cold and I don't like the winter. But I just feel like I would much rather be cold than not be stylish in some kind of way. And that just makes me more comfortable and confident. There's also a commute aspect, right? Like you and I do take the subway sometimes to work and that bulk on the subway is just really uncomfortable. Yeah, and I mean, those jackets, you need two seats just for those sometimes. Because <laughs> then you also have your toque and your scarf and you have to take everything off. And I have to kind of out myself here. So I do own not a Canda Goose, but an Aritzia giant green jacket that is in that style that pretty much every female from 13 to 30 has. Um, and I've only worn it a handful of times because it's completely drowned me on my commute when I get to work and I'm sweating and it's like negative 10 outside and I hated it. I'm not like super outdoorsy anyway. So if I am outside, it's maybe a 10 minute walk at most from like the subway to work or the work to a restaurant after, you know what I mean? So I'm not exploring the Arctic like our Canada Goose friends are. Or our TTC commuters. <laughs> or our TTC commuters. <laughs> but I understand there are other places in the country, shocking to me, where it does get colder. So I, I don't know. I feel like is there a limit to how cold it should get before Canada geese are acceptable? I think, I mean, okay, here's the thing. Like, if you're about to go on an expedition, if you live somewhere where there's snow everywhere, it's very cold all the time, I get the reasoning, but I just feel like, why does it have to be something totally shapeless that is referred to sometimes as a bubble jacket? Why does that exist? And why are some of them floor length? That's truly disturbing. So there are some things you can consider when you get a jacket for yourself. Like I said, fit is a really nice thing. Maybe have fun with color. Maybe just take it a little bit easy. If you're walking to Tim Hortons, you do not need to be wearing your Canada Goose. Totally. Also, we haven't discussed how expensive yes. these jackets are. They're like seven, eight, nine hundred dollars sometimes. That's a lot. That's like eight denim jackets. There's also that sea of black. 
on the well so I mean that's my subway yeah so I think this kind of reminds me of high school or elementary school uniforms you walk outside at least in Toronto in the winter and it's just a sea of black and everybody recognizes that Canada goose icon and it just makes me miserable because to me it just says we all look exactly the same because we've all given up together in a certain way but I want to see some individuality like I think it's nice when you can kind of see someone's personal style or their personality in their coat or whatever they decide to wear in the winter when it's cold. We may think of winter food as comfort food. All the good filling, probably bad stuff for you that helps you get through the season. But until fairly recently, Canadians ate seasonally and that wasn't exactly fun during winter. But everything that's old is new again in terms of food trends. And we're seeing a bit of a return to seasonal and local eating. That can be a bit hard during winter, though, so Vanessa Hervatan explored the lost art of winter preserving and canning. Imagine living in a house where you can survive the entire winter without having to step foot in a grocery store. And no, it's not a Victorian homestead or a hippie commune. So we live with six or 700 jars of food in downtown Toronto. I grew up in a family that um, hunted for food. If we had a successful fall hunt, our dinner eating was really different than if we didn't. Uh, in other words, we had meat and we ate a lot of meat in the winter. Otherwise, we didn't. We ate a lot of the stereotypical stuff that I think has changed over the time, but a lot of the roots and stuff that would have been stored in cellars, um, both in Uxbridge, where I grew up, but also my mother grew up in rural Nova Scotia, my dad in Kingston, where they did do a lot of cellaring and storage of vegetables through the winter. Joel McCharles is serious about preserving food. He and his partner, Dana Harrison, are behind Batch, a book all about canning, dehydrating, and fermenting food. If you went over for dinner, they could probably whip up a meal made entirely of preserves. There is absolutely lots of times that we could open a couple of mason jars, or and not everything we have is stored in mason jars. Um, maybe it's some dehydrated beans that are being served in a salad with a lemon salt, um, an infused vinegar. Um, it, it's, it would be very easy in our house to make a full, complete meal, vegetarian or otherwise, uh, with preserved ingredients. This might sound like a slightly outdated practice. After all, in a lot of Canadian cities, you can go to a grocery store in February and buy fresh pears from South Africa or lettuce from California. You no longer have to fill up a root cellar with potatoes and squash to survive winter. But Joel and Dana may be onto something. It seems more Canadians are concerned with eating seasonal and local produce. Joel says canning and preserving food is a way to keep that habit up in the winter. I kind of think preserving is making ingredients that make cooking quicker and easier through the winter. You know, every reason I hear, I've said myself. So, you know, I totally understand why somebody thinks that they don't have time or it's too complex. And what I'll say is it's just that they haven't learned the technique. So just to give you an example, if you had a bottle of cider vinegar at home and you dropped strawberries in it, you have just made a preserve. If you drop blueberries into a bottle of gin, you've made a second preserve. If you put mushrooms on a, on a rack, just a, a regular kind of bread rack, and let them sit there for three or four or five days, depending how dry your kitchen is, they'll dehydrate. You'll make another preserve. We all use the fridge. We all use the freezer. We don't think we preserve. I, I really think that at the end of the day, the reason why we don't preserve is we've bought into the the mythology of, of not understanding that it doesn't have to take a lot of time. It's not difficult. We don't need special equipment. And I think just a small amount of knowledge, um, you know, if you chop up a chili pepper really fine and just toss it in salt, you can leave that salt in the back of your stove for two years uh, and you make a wonderful chili salt. So 
really, I think what it comes down to is we've lost a bit of knowledge. And, and through conversations like these, I think we can find really ways to kind of debug some of that mystification. It also helps you avoid some pricey winter foods. I love the economy of red peppers this time of year. Uh, if you looked at a red bell pepper in a store, it's probably anywhere from 3 to $4 uh, a pound in my area right now. In the fall, you can get a bushel, which is about 45 pounds of red peppers, for anywhere from 18 to $22. So you're paying 50 cents a pound for red peppers. The way we preserve them, we just put them on a barbecue and we, we scorch them until they're black on the outside and then seed them and pull off the skin and just freeze them. Generally, we'll puree them or even freeze them in slices in Ziploc bags. Um, so my red peppers through the winter cost me 50 cents a pound. They store in Ziploc bags in the freezer. Totally economical, way tastier, and way easier to use because when it's winter time, I don't have to go to the store. I don't have to go grab the pepper, clean the pepper. I just break off a piece out of the bag and throw it in the dish. There are many options, so where should a novice start? When it becomes work, it's not fun. <laughs> so I, I would say, first of all, figure out your level of obsession um, and figure out what you really love to eat. You know, And I would really focus on those things. I think you're far better to make 60 jars of tomato sauce, if that's your thing, than to make 10 jars of five things. And maybe you, you're just not into beets, but you preserve them because you thought you had to. You might think all the good stuff comes out in the spring, summer, and fall. But that doesn't mean you have to wait another season to start making preserves. Winter is a time that I tend to do two things. When looking and exploring local, in the winter, what I, I tend to do is a lot more meat and dairy, just because that's a lot of the stuff that we have access to this time of year. Um, the one thing that may sound a little counterintuitive, um, especially if you're trying to eat local, is winter can be a good time to buy frozen Ontario fruit and to learn to make jam with that. Um, Using frozen fruit tends to be a little more difficult to make jam with, only because there's a lot more water when they freeze and, and you have to cook it a bit longer. But, you know, why wait till mid-season to try to learn it? Right now, you go ahead and get frozen blueberries and, and learn how to make a blueberry jam and do that in the winter. If your house is cold, it helps warm up your house. Um, using frozen fruit and vegetable, there's lots of opportunities to preserve through the winter. With another month of winter looming ahead, now might be a great time to start perfecting your preserving skills. That's it for this week. Snow Life is produced by me, Monica Rezeka. Sound work, show theme, and logo by Bryce Hall. Technical support by John Richardson. If you have any winter stories to share, reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. You can subscribe to Snow Life on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Be sure to let us know what you think and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>